Matthew chapter 5. For those of you who were here last week, it's going to be less intense. <laughs> but um, we're, we're dealing with matters of the heart, so Jesus is going to continue to eat at us. You know what I mean? Jesus is going to continue to bang things. I, I just know... After last week when we taught about promises, you guys, if, for those of you who are here, we, we talked about keeping promises. And yes, raise your hand if you don't have a bulletin yet. If you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand. And some of you are going to be stubborn and say, no, I don't need a bulletin. You do need a bulletin, Nathan. <laughs> you do need a bulletin. There you go. Raise it nice and high. You do need a bulletin because they're going to be used tonight. But uh, yeah, we, we were talking about the concept of promises last week, and I just know that on that Monday after that Sunday night's service, on that Monday, I had broken two promises. <laughs> like, and I have witnesses, okay? I, I had broken two promises that Monday. And so just know, guys, that I'm probably suffering more than all of you through this entire series. So pray for me. You guys Okay. All right, jeez. <laughs> All right, let's just, yeah, let's just get right into it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn him away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you have more than the others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I, I just, I admit to being messy and, and weak tonight, God, and I just pray, Lord, that um, you would not let my weakness or our weakness, Lord, to um, be attentive to you uh, come in the way of your spirit moving through us. And so, Father, I just, I pray, God, that we would all be dependent on you tonight. Um, whether, whether I be preaching or, or the congregation be listening, Lord, that we would be completely and wholly dependent on you tonight. We love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said. I need a louder amen than that, guys. All right, there we go. (laughs) When looking at these words that Jesus says, we must remember what we learned last week. And, And for those of you who weren't here last week, I'll fill you in that love is not a matter of feeling, but a matter of will. And we looked at love in the context of marriage. Okay, and, and we learn that marriage is, is not as superficial as two people joining together and, and, and sharing resources. Uh, we, we learn that marriage is much deeper, and marriage is so sacred to the Christian because it's a shadow and it's a picture of the gospel. 
and we learn that as you look all throughout of Hebrew tradition and Hebrew history as far as marriage goes, it is almost identical to the gospel message. And, and, and we learn that, that love is given, not as much felt. You can feel in love. Yes, you can feel love towards somebody, but anyone who's married in here will tell you that they don't always feel love towards their spouse. They don't always feel this happiness and this joy and this giddiness. But, but, but sometimes love needs to be fought for. Love needs to be given. And, and, and we, we you know, took a step back from, from just marriage and we looked at our relationship with God. And how if our love towards other people and our love towards God was the same as God's love towards us, then we'd be in a lot of trouble. If God would just say, well, you know, we were so in love in the beginning, but, you know, I don't really, I don't feel in love with them anymore. If God had done that to us, if God's love is as superficial as our love, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? We would be in a lot of trouble. So we see when love is about us, things don't go well. When when love is all about who can give me what I need, when love is all about what can I get from my kingdom, and this is where anger and lust manifest themselves, if love is purely what can I get from myself, then we see that we can be selective with our love. We can be very selective with our love. If love is about our benefit and our comfort, we can choose whoever the heck we want to love. But, but, but Jesus declares in this passage that, that we really don't have the luxury of picking and choosing who we love. You know, romantically, you have that luxury. However, who you love, who you show kindness towards, who you show grace towards, that is not dependent on your feeling towards somebody. That's not dependent on us and our personal preferences, unfortunately. And fortunately, you see, for those who are difficult, we can choose, if, if, if our love is selective, if our love is all about us, then with the difficult people, we choose not to give them our love because there's no benefit in extending goodwill towards them. You know, those difficult and annoying people, if we choose not to love them, that is a, a, a self-centered way of living. And that's a, a, a very shallow view of the word we call love. You see, Jesus exhorts that loving only the lovable is a very shallow way of living. There is no depth to someone who can't bring themselves to love the wicked. You may be wide in loving many people, but there is no depth to your love because you keep them at an arm's length. And, and, and I find myself always, always getting caught up in this type of love where, where I, I'm nice to those who are friendly. And I'm nice and I extend grace and kindness to those who then, uh, who I know will reciprocate. Jesus exhorts here to love the evil people. Which is something easier said than done. We see here, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We've all heard this, right? We've all heard an eye for an eye. Um, A famous Gandhi quote was, um, an eye for an eye uh, makes the whole world blind. Have you guys ever seen that on, on a bumper sticker somewhere? An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. You see, uh, that's cute but stupid because it kind of misses the point. Okay, it, it, it's very cute in the way, you know, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, but, but, but it kind of misses the point of the original verse that we see in the Bible. You see, this law was found in Exodus 21, and if you have your bulletins, I made it easy for you. You have a piece of paper in your bulletins that has all the verses we're going to be going through tonight. 
and, and like I've, I've said previously, the reason for that sheet is so that you can keep me as a preacher accountable to preach the word of God, okay? If, if I ever start straying away, if I ever, you know, if I don't preach all the verses that are in that pamphlet, okay, rebuke me in the name of Jesus, all right? So we see in Exodus chapter 1, it says, An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, and a stripe for a stripe. You see, what, what had happened is uh, the Jews had taken this verse that was found in Exodus chapter 21, and they had used it to fulfill their personal vendettas and vengeance towards each other. They had, they had used it to start blood feuds, meaning that guy insulted me, I insult him back. And then he escalates, say, well, then it resorts to physical violence, and then we have a blood feud between two families. Anger, we, we've learned, escalates very, very quickly. And this was a perfect example of what we do today about taking a verse out of context. You see, be careful about random quotes from the Bible that you see online on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you find it. Guys, Jeremiah 29, 11 doesn't exactly mean what you think it means. I just want to let you guys know that. You see, you see we, we, we tend to take verses out of context because when, when we take a specific passage of Scripture and we, and we remove um, the environment that it was written in, if we remove that, what a lot of the times we'll use that specific verse to apply to our lives and to fulfill our own personal needs. But, but, but the original context of this verse, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was, was actually Moses was explaining that judges ought to have a punishment that fits the crime. Okay, This was when, when Moses was esta- establishing judges, when he was establishing justices of the peace, when he was establishing this government known as Israel, he was saying, judges, when you judge, you have to, you have, to have a punishment that fits the crime, just like our justice system now. Me stealing a candy bar from the grocery store is not the same as me murdering someone, is it? There is a punishment that fits the crime. Now, now keep in mind, all sins are, are the same in God's eyes, but not all sins have the same punishment. You see, actually, what, what many people don't know is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, has, has a very different context than what we originally think. And we see this in verses 22 through 23 of Exodus chapter 21. If men fight and hurt a woman with child, so she gives birth prematurely, no, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay the ju- as the judge, judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a stripe for a stripe. This, this verse that we see that so many people have used to justify their vengeance. So many people have used, not, not just Christians, not just Jews, but, but cultures all throughout the world have used this Bible verse to to justify hurting others that have hurted them. But we see the original context of this verse was to protect women and children. The the context of this verse was to protect the unborn children. The original context of this verse, an eye for an eye, is if you harm an unborn child, you die. This was the original content. And, and if you harm a man's wife, that man gets to decide your punishment. This was the context of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Yet, yet the Jews of this time had taken this verse in order to justify revenge and their own personal vendettas. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Turn the other cheek. We've heard this, right? Turn the other cheek. This is another verse that has been taken out of context many times. I'll tell you three things that this verse does not mean before I tell you. Well, I'll I'll tell you what it means in the midst of it. There's three things that this verse does not mean. One, this verse does not mean that you let people harm you. I, I need you to make sure of that. This verse, turn the other cheek, does not mean let people harm you. You see, there are many times where Jesus had fled the scene because people were getting too crazy. We see that all throughout Scripture. We see that there's many times where the crowd got too crazy. It wasn't Jesus' time to die. They were going to kill him. So he had to bounce, all right, as fast as he could, all right? So, so, so we know that turning the other cheek, it's not if somebody slugs you, you just turn the other and say, hit me again, okay? In fact, in Romans 13, 4, it says the government is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he, has, he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath upon him who practices evil. If somebody's committing an, a physical evil against you, someone is committing a crime against you, you call the police. It says that they are God's ministers of justice, avengers for you. Say what you will about our government, but, but we have a government that will defend us. We don't all, not, not every Christian has that luxury. You see, this verse does not mean let somebody beat you. Defend yourself and let others defend you. Amen? The slapping of the cheek did not mean somebody's slugging you, okay? That, 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 that's not what it means. The, the actual, um, once again, getting in the context of, of the actual verse, it, when a verbal argument, when it reached its climax, it would result in a backhand slap to the face, okay? That, that, that's what would happen. When arguments reached their climax, when arguments would reach and, and personal tension would reach its, its, its height, what would happen is it would result in the ultimate insult, which was either a spit in the face or a backhand slap, okay? And, and, and so we see that this is meant as personal arguments between two parties, whether it be between two individuals, two families, two organizations, whatever it may be. This, uh, this verse applies to people and, and their personal relationship with each other. It's not a physical relationship. It, it doesn't mean if someone's beating you, you can let them beat you. This has to do with, with personal relationship, not having to do with the physical relationship. Number two Turning the other cheek does not mean running away. Turning the cheek does not mean running away. In fact, turning the other cheek is having the boldness to stand firm and open the door for reconciliation. Somebody slaps you on the face, you give them more time to reconcile. You give them more time to mend that. We have learned in the past week that God blesses the peacemakers. God blesses those who stand firm in the midst of chaos. They stand firm and they say, I will not waver, but I will take the abuse. Because my mission is after their hearts. My mission is not to win the argument. My mission is not to win anything. My mission is, has nothing to do about me. It is all about them coming to Jesus. Therefore, I will take the hit. And I will turn the other cheek. Sometimes this does mean stepping back and helping them from a distance but we don't leave and we don't run away nonetheless. The third thing that this turning the other cheek does not mean, turning the other cheek does not mean abandoning your sense of justice. 
It does not mean that they aren't evil. God doesn't say, hey, turn the other cheek because they're not so bad. He doesn't say that. Jesus, he says, an evil person. He admits that they're evil. Jesus admits that they're evil. He doesn't ignore sin. Never believe that God ignores sin. He doesn't ignore it, and neither should you. You don't abandon your sense of justice. Turning the other cheek isn't saying, oh, they're doing something illegal, or they they have wronged me, so I'm just going to ignore it until it maybe goes away. That's not what it means. We do not abandon justice. We just have a new way of acquiring justice. Pay attention to this. The Christian has a new way of acquiring justice. We don't acquire justice through fighting back and nipping at them the same way they nipped at us. As a Christian, Jesus calls us to a justice of restoration, not retaliation. We have a justice of restoration and mending, not a justice of tearing down and taking. That is not the way Christians do justice. In Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, I love this passage. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. All men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, we don't relinquish our sense of justice. However, we do relinquish our need to justify ourselves. We don't relinquish what justice is. We, we don't let go of the definition of justice. We don't let go of, of seeking justice. But we let go of seeking to justify ourselves. What do we have to prove, guys? Tell me. The God of the universe has declared you holy, blameless, spotless. What the heck do you have to prove to anybody? What use is there in arguing if God has declared you holy? You see, the only time we ever retaliate is when we are seeking to regain a sense of identity that somebody has taken from us. But God, he holds our identity in his hands. Who can take it? Who can take it away from us? You see, God is our judge. We don't need something as juvenile as revenge to retrieve a lost sense of identity. That's what revenge is. That's what retaliation is. It's juvenile. It's childish. You see, I, I, I see it in youth ministry all the time. Kid takes some candy from another kid. What does he do? Kicks him. Like, this, is, this is the natural thing that happens. Retaliation is juvenile. Because you don't know who you are when you retaliate. You think somebody's taken something away from you. And so you have to take it back. But if, but if, if you believe God is your judge, you have no reason to seek retribution from anyone. If, but if you don't believe God is your judge, if you don't believe God is your witness, if you don't believe God holds justice in his hands, if you don't believe justice is God's, then you have no choice but to retaliate. You have no choice but to insult somebody back. 
you have no choice but to counter whatever anyone's giving you. If you don't believe God is your judge, then you have no choice but to seek revenge. But if God is your judge, what are you, what are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing? Jesus gives us two simple examples that are ex- very relevant to us as Americans. He gives us two specific examples that uh, are, are, are very re- relevant to our current time in our country. We see here in verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn him away. This is revolutionary. You see, your tunic and your cloak back then were the most essential pieces of clothing you had. Two most essential pieces of clothing were, were your tunic and your cloak. Jesus is saying, if someone is angry and upset with you, if somebody is, is upset with you in any way and seeks to sue you, whether it be justified or unjustified, if they try to sue you and take something from you, you say, you take it, and I'm going to give you even more. You just put the ball in their court. You, you, you say, you want to take this from me? Go right ahead. I don't need it. In fact... Let me give this to you too. You see, Jesus is saying, if someone is angry and upset with you, bless them. If somebody's trying to take something, whether it be illegally or legally, if somebody's trying to take something from you, what do you have to lose? What are you trying to protect? God holds everything in his hands. What are you trying to protect? Give it to him. Just give it to him. Roman soldiers also, it says... And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Back then, Roman soldiers reserved the right to make you carry their stuff around. A a Roman soldier can go up to a Jew and say, yo, takes off his armor, takes off his backpack, puts it all in his arms, walk with me. Jew had no choice. He had to walk. And, And so we had all these Jews just walking around carrying all of this stuff. Miserable because they hated Roman oppression. And these Roman soldiers, just imagine a police officer coming up to you, giving you a bunch of his stuff, giving you a bunch of paperwork and making you do his paperwork. You pay taxes to fund this guy and to to have him do work and have him keep the peace. And then he comes up to you and says, I get paid with your tax dollars. You do my work. This is the exact equivalent. And, and you can imagine how angry these Jews were. And for Jesus to say, if that, if that Roman soldier, if he makes you carry a huge load, a mile, and after you're done with that mile, you say, hey, what else can I do for you? Can I go with you another mile? I'm going I'm to give you guys an example. Instead of grumbling and groaning, and do you know what? I'm with you on this, guys. Trust me. Instead of grumbling and groaning over all the government's taking away from you, why don't you go and serve the government? Why don't you go and do whatever you can to serve publicly as well? I know that was a very sensitive thing to say. But it's biblical. You see, when we don't seek retaliation, when we don't seek to sue back, when we don't seek to groan and grumble when somebody makes us carry the load, that's when mess becomes ministry, and that's when revenge becomes restoration. This is when the Christian shows their true colors. 
The Christian shows their true colors under persecution. And only for the Christian, just letting you know, only for the Christian is it possible for something as, as devastating as government taking advantage of you or a lawsuit or, or, or somebody stealing from you or somebody hitting you or somebody insulting you and your family. Only in Christianity is that something that is able to turn it into ministry. And every other work-based religion, retaliation must occur because you're better than them and you have to prove it. But in Christianity, we all know that we are equal under the cross and that we're all sinners and that they're a sinner and they need Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if they take my stuff, they still need Jesus. And so I'm going to give them whatever it takes to make that relationship so then I can lead them to God. Only by Jesus' power does something like feuds and something like enemies between neighbors or family members, only in the case when Jesus is in there does anything like that become ministry. You see, it's all about the heart. Are you after the stuff? Are you after your rights? Are you after gaining something that you think is lost? Or, or are you after the hearts of men and women? What's your goal? What's your end goal? Is it to gain some sort of status? Is it to puff yourself up when you win an argument? Or is it to win the hearts of somebody else? And, and that, that's something that's so convicting for me because a lot of times when I get in arguments, I, I don't care about my relationship with that person. I just care about winning. That's it. I, I could care less about them. I want them to make sure that I, I, I want to make sure that they know that I'm right. And that for all future arguments, I can go back to that argument and say, yo, I'm right. Remember that one time I was right? I'm probably right now. Arguments are always about me. If you'll let me nerd out on you really quick, or whatever it is. Um, I remember uh, on my way to Uganda, I had read half the book of Les Mis, and then I had watched the film on the flight. Anybody know Les Mis? Watch the movie or read the book or watch a play, Les Mis. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'll fill you in. Um, Les Mis is by, it's a, it's a novel by Victor Hugo. And the main character portrays a man called Jean Valjean. And, and, and he is in prison for 19 years um, for stealing a loaf of bread for his sister's starving children. Stealing a loaf of bread for starving children doesn't seem like something that would cost you 19 years in prison. But it was. And he spent 19 years in prison and when he gets out of prison, he is shunned by society and unable to work. And this is, this is in France at a very dark period in time, of time. And, and, and Jean Valjean, he's, he's bitter and he's bound by the law and he's stuck by his parole officer. And he's, he's just embittered by the oppression. He's embittered by the law. He, he's, he's so angry and and. and He's full of hate. 
Jean Valjean is so full of hate that he, he can't stand but speak to, he can't stand to speak to people. But he, but he needs people because he can't he can't function by himself because he has been labeled a prisoner of the law. Even when he's out of prison, he is under the law. And he's under and bound by rules and, and the, the hatred of other men. He stumbles then upon the house of a bishop. And this bishop, seeing how dirty he is and how, how hungry and starving and emaciated he is, he, he, he takes him in. He feeds him, he gives him a bath, he clothes him, he gives him a warm place to stay. Jean Valjean then, he takes a look around the bishop's house and, and he, he sees a bunch of silverware, very expensive silverware. And he takes a bag and he, he stuffs the bag full of silverware and he gets out of there as fast as he can. And he, he's, he's running and he's, he's trying to get as far away from the bishop's house. He's trying to make some distance when the police catch him. The police catch him and, and they bring him to the bishop's house and they say, do you know this man? And then they, 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 they show him all of, of the things that he had stolen. The bishop looks at Jean Valjean and then he looks at the police and he says, I am so glad you brought him here. Jean Valjean, you forgot the candlesticks. And, and he, he gets the candlesticks and he puts them in the back. And, and the, the police go away. And Jean Valjean is just sitting there before the man that he had just stolen things from. And this bishop, he, he, he gives him more stuff. And, and the bishop then says to Jean Valjean, go and live in grace. Jean Valjean is just, he, he, he's torn up. He, he, he's cut to the heart. The police leave. He's, he's there and in front of the man he has just committed a crime against. And, and he, no, at no point in time, even when nobody showed him grace when he stole a br- bread for starving children, but he actually wronged this man. And he gave him grace. In fact, he, di- he didn't just say, all right, you're forgiven. He, he gave him more. He gave him his cloak as well. He walked the extra mile. And Jean Valjean, he's, he's torn by this thing called grace. And it tears him apart. But it leads him to show grace to others all throughout the novel. I tell you all this because it's grace that changes the heart. It's kindness that changes the heart. I, I, there's sometimes where I, I just think, you know, there, there's always those people that, that, we, that we have problems with. And it's hard to think of extending grace towards them, but remember Romans 2, 4. It says, and I love how the New Living Translation portrays it, in, and I put it in, in the bulletins. And it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You see, the heart is not changed through arguments, political policy, lawsuits, or even civil discussions. The heart is changed by the kindness and grace of God. So Jesus comes before us and says, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And in this passage, we see two things about God's love. First, God's love is truthful. And God's love is impartial. God's love is truthful. He doesn't ignore sin. Remember, it it says right here, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. You see, 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 God doesn't say love them because they're not so bad. He, he, he recognizes that, that they're bad people. He recognizes that they're in the wrong. God doesn't ignore sin. God doesn't ignore that. God's love is truthful. God will be faithful to point out somebody's wrong. God is always faithful to convict the sins of the heart. But we also see that God's love is impartial. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We see that the sun rising this morning is another way of God saying, I desire you. I desire you to live with me and be blessed. To all people. You see, did the sun rise this morning because you were particularly good? Who here loves the rain? Because it's been raining lately. A lot of people love the rain. I'm not, I, me not so much, but it's okay. I, you know, rain is good sometimes, never. But a lot of people love the rain. Did God send the rain because you were particularly good this week? No. One of my junior hires when I was preaching this morning, he said, probably. <laughs> Something like that. You see, do, Are there some evil people that like rain too? Yeah. Are there some evil people that enjoy a nice sunrise or sunset? Absolutely. Does God take that away from them? Because they're evil? No, because God shows his creation. He shows common grace as a sign that I want you. I desire you. I want your lungs to keep breathing. So with every breath, you have a new opportunity to come to me. And so with every single moment, that's what turning the cheek is, guys. Turning the cheek is just giving another opportunity for them to come to Jesus. Bam, they slap you again. Turn the other cheek. Do you want to come to Jesus now? Bam, no. All right, do you want to come to Jesus now? This is what turning the other cheek does. And so we see at Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And I'll close with this. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Jesus came to this earth for who? What does John 3.16 say? Always go back to John 3.16. For God so loved the Christians. For God so loved the righteous. For God so loved 
the good? For God so loved the Americans? For God so loved the Israelites? Does God specify? Does God show partiality in his love? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. This means everybody. For God so loved the heterosexual that he gave his only begotten son. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Because this is good news. Because do you know what it means? It means that you and I can come to Jesus. Because whoever you consider evil, trust me, you're just as evil. I am at least. Maybe you guys are perfect. When dealing with your enemies, I need you to do three things for me. For God, for yourself. When dealing with your enemies, do three things. One, remember Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us that and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you're dealing with enemies, when you're dealing with the difficult people, I need you to remember this. Consider your own sin, first of all. This is, this is what I have a hardest for. You know, the other two I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I, I don't have a hard time with, but this first one I probably have the hardest time with. Because when I'm in an argument with someone, I always just look at their sin. I always look at how they're wrong. I always look at how they're wrong, and specifically how I'm better than them. When you're in an argument, when... when When you're having arguments with your enemies, consider your own sin. Second, pray for them specifically. If you're anything like me and and you have somebody that you're in an argument with or somebody who's being difficult in your life, a lot of the times you'll be like, all right, I know I'm supposed to pray for them. God, I pray for all the evil people in this world. They're they're in it. I I don't even want to think about them. You know, a a lot of the times, loving everyone in general is an excuse for loving no one in particular. I love all people. Yeah, that probably means you love no one in specific. Pray for people by name. Pray for them by name. Pray for their families. Pray for their jobs. Pray for them by name. Don't say those people. Pray for them by name. Because what will happen, and we've discussed this before, God will start to change your heart. Always focus on your heart first before you focus on the hearts of others, please. Always focus on your heart first. And third, and this is usually my ending point with any, anything, cling to the gospel. Cling to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus needs to be the lens by which we see all conflict. If you don't see salvation or reconciliation being the end result of your argument or conflict with someone, if salvation isn't the goal, if something else is the goal, no matter how noble it may be, stop, get out. If reconciliation in a relationship is not the end goal of your argument, stop the argument. Cling to the cross and rely on the cross for justice. The cross gives us justice. You see, the epitome of justice results in the death of sin, does it not? We don't need justice if sin is dealt with, right? There's no need for justice. There's no need for retaliation. There's no need for anything if sin is done away with. 
And how do we do away with sin? We crucify it on Jesus. Right? How is sin dealt with, Christians? We put it on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Let him bear that load. Let him crucify it. And let him raise again on the third day. Justice reaches its epitome on the cross. Your enemies need to put, you don't need to put your enemies to justice. You need to put their sin to justice. You don't need to end your enemies. You don't need to end that person you're in conflict with. You don't need to end your boss. You don't need to end that company that wronged you. You don't need to end them. You need to end the sin that has caused all that wrong. And that sin is only done away with by the power of the cross. Kill the sin, spare the sinner. Kill the sin, spare the sinner. This is what prayer does. This is what peacemaking does. Kill the sin, spare the sinner. That's what God did with us. 